As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat here. My name is Joe Pascalia. Thanks for hanging out with me for just a little bit here. The Bills are getting ready to take on the Philadelphia Eagles, which should be quite an interesting matchup considering the context behind uh, what the Bills have gone through recently and certainly what, uh, what this game could mean for the rest of their season and moving forward. So, uh, by all means, this is the, this is kind of our routine by now. If you are new with us, uh, here on the athletic app, this is the weekly live room episode of the Buffalo beat. And you can send in all your questions right into that, uh, little chat area right there. Um, and a, and, and certainly, Plenty of injury-related things, matchup-related things, and and bigger-picture stuff. We always get into some good questions, always get some really uh, interesting stuff as uh, as we move forward. So, uh, by all means, send in your questions, and we'll get things started. And, of course, Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Post-Happy Thanksgiving, but hope everyone had an excellent day on Thursday and was able to enjoy some uh, some good dinner, some family time, some friends time, whatever whatever it uh, meant for you. All right. First question. I feel like the first question always comes from Grant H. He's a weekly listener of the uh, live room episode. Grant writes, five wide receiver sets seem to really work well last week. Should that continue to be a point of emphasis moving forward? Um, I don't recall a single set of, of five receiver um, for the Bills in that game. It was mostly... It was mostly uh, 11 personnel. They mixed in some 12 personnel. I don't even think they ran 10 personnel once. Um, they they mixed and matched a lot of their receivers throughout the game, but I don't recall them going all out five receivers. Um, they they took uh, they took players out of the backfield by all means, but I don't think that they went full on having the the five of. Diggs, Davis, Shakir, Sherfield, and Hardy. Um, so I think 
what the, what we could see is a continuation of them like spreading it out a little bit and maybe trying to get some more of that screen game working, which is something that it seemed like Joe Brady really had an intentional um, plan to utilize, not with the running backs, because as we know, the Bills and their running back screams have not exactly been uh, prolific <laughs> since since Sean McDermott uh, arrived in 2017, really. It, it just seems like they haven't been a good screen team from that perspective. But the wide receiver screen game uh, is something that they have really tried to dive into, and they tried to institute it right on that, uh, right on one of their first passing plays when uh, when Josh Allen threw it into the flat area to Stefan Diggs, who had a couple of blockers in front of him. The throw was just a little bit ahead of Diggs. It looked like a drop on broadcast, but um, it was actually a, a a ball placement issue, in my opinion for where Josh put it on, on digs. And I think that could have yielded a, a better play. And perhaps, you know, maybe that first drive of the game doesn't, um, doesn't unravel the way that it did. Uh, if they were on the same page there, or if Josh completed a better ball, I mean, Josh got better as, as the game went on. And I'm sure we're going to talk about him more as this episode went, but that's kind of the spread them out screen game thing that, that I'm kind of talking about where we could see that moving forward, especially because it has been successful for them. Um, so far. All right. Next up comes from Mitchell K who writes in how likely is Leonard Floyd to stay in Buffalo after the season? Mitchell, it is going to be extremely difficult for them to be able to uh, bring back Leonard Floyd, not only because he's going to command, I think a ton of money. And let me just double check his age. He's in the thirties now, but he's, he's 31. He'll, he'll turn 32 next year. I it's, it's doable. I, I suppose, but it would have to call for them to invest in another 30 plus pass rusher. Um, and that is, could be a little bit dicey for them based on, how things have kind of gone with this Von Miller situation. Was Von great last year? Absolutely. But when you look at how this year has kind of gone for him and how he hasn't bounced back from injury the way that maybe they would have wanted him to or hoped he would, and they still have hope for him that that he can bring it around, but it's just another questionable type of investment if they were to go and invest in, in Leonard Floyd. Because they do have Greg Rousseau, who they really like. Uh, I'm sure they could probably bring back AJ Epinesa for somewhat of a, a solid deal. Maybe he's playing his way into a big deal in free agency. Who knows? But Floyd has been one of the best pass rushers in the NFL this year. And I think he's going to get paid like it um, in the offseason. So not only is it uh, an interesting conversation just from a just from a boilerplate would they invest high salary past a year into another 30 plus pass rusher? And on top of it, their cap situation next year is not exactly ideal. They have pushed a lot of money down the road and they can push more, but how much more do they want to continue to do this? It kind of seems like they're heading for, and we talked about this maybe last episode or, or a couple of episodes ago on the live room that perhaps 
they are setting themselves up for this slight, not rebuild, but retooling in 2025 once a lot of these contracts of these older guys uh, start to expire and, and you know, they, they start to get into the realm of being able to save money um, by cutting the back end of some of these deals that they've signed with, with some of these guys. So there's a, there's a lot of, I guess, consideration that goes with it. We do know that the pass rushing piece is extremely important to Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. And we have seen that the defensive line this year has kind of taken, taken over for the defense because they've just had so many question marks. The secondary uh, at safety has been up and down, uh, has been pretty, pretty solid lately, but it's been up and down through the year. The cornerback play, there's been a ton of injuries. It seems like they've got a couple of good guys in there now. The linebackers, obviously a huge loss with Matt Milano going down. But um, when you uh, when you look at what this defense has been able to do this year, it's all about the pass rush. And when they are effective, the defense is inherently effective. So maybe they push for it. Maybe Sean McDermott pushes for it. Eric Washington, the defensive line coach, pushes for it. I just think it's going to be tough um, because I do think he's still at that spot where going to be 31 at time of free agency, 32 at the start of next season. I could definitely see a team desperate for a pass rushing uh, push forward to look at him and go, okay, well, this is something that it's somewhat affordable because of his age. But still, you're going to be able to pay. They're going to pay a somewhat premium that maybe the Bills just won't be able to afford. So I I think they'll try. But my guess is that he probably plays elsewhere next year. And that's before any moves are made. Maybe things kind of change around a little bit. Um, if they were to, say, move on from Tredavious White. Because that opens up about $10 million in cap space. but. Uh, that's that's an, a bigger discussion past just whether or not they bring back Leonard Floyd. All right, next up is a question from Dan G, who, who writes, it's looking like a lost year for Justin Shorter. What do you envision his role being going forward? I think they're going to hope that he shows some more signs of life as a receiver, as he did late in camp and late in preseason. You know, I don't know that there is a, a ton of question as to whether or not he would actually make the team, but it was at least a conversation. But once he started showing some progress as a receiver, that's when you go, okay, well, there, there's no way they're going to cut him. They're they're going to keep him in some capacity, and they did. They kept him on the initial 53-man roster. They then put him on IR. Uh, I would expect for him to continue there. Maybe they pull the, the kind of move that um, that they did with Isaiah Hodgins in his rookie year, if you recall. Uh, they had Hodgins on IR, and they brought him back, opened his practice window, and then they just ended up shutting it um, without bringing him up to the 53-man roster. Maybe it's something like that, so they can get in some practice work with Justin Shorter down the stretch of the season. Or if the Bills fall out of contention, maybe that's, that's, an, that's an avenue. You know, we we haven't really heard a lot about Shorter and, and what he and if 
slash when he can get back uh, to to the lineup. So I'm just kind of spitballing here, but that could those could be some potential um, avenues for them to get another look at him. His outlook moving forward, I think he's going to be a special teams guy through and through. He's going to be one of those core four on punt, punt return, kickoff, kickoff return. Uh, I I think there's there's a really nice role waiting for him right there, especially as some of these guys graduate from the Bills program, whether it be Tyler Matakavich, who has been a staple of their special teams for a long time, um, Cam Lewis, who's going to be a free agent this upcoming year. Uh, there's there's a ton of there there's at least a handful of guys that may not be on the roster next year that they'll need to kind of backfill, and, and Shorter could do that. And then from there, see what he does on offense in in training camp. I don't think that they're looking at him as the long-term replacement for Gabe Davis. I think that would be a little bit asking too much. But I do think that they'll give a look at it and see what he can do. And maybe if Gabe Davis moves on, either draft a receiver or sign a receiver to compete at that X receiver spot. So probably will wind up being a special teams specific guy, but I'll give like a, I don't know, a 10, 15% chance that, that he develops into something that, um, that they can utilize on offense for more than just a handful of snaps a game. Okay. Next up comes from Don C who writes, Best format. Thanks for doing these, Joe. Joe, hope you and yours had a great holiday. Same to you, Don. Simple question. How does the Bills' depleted defense hold up against this Eagles offense? Can they do it? I think it's what we talked about with Leonard Floyd. Uh, I think it's really going to boil down to whether or not they can get pressure on Jalen Hurts. Um, I would be very cognizant of how the Eagles attack them on the ground specifically. Uh, you know, there's there's at least some optimism that Taron Johnson will be able to play uh, just based on the fact that he was able to practice on Thursday. And they do have Rasul Douglas. They do have uh, they do have Christian Benford. Both are healthy and ready to play. If Taron Johnson can play, then that means that's basically their their starting secondary in there. So that gives them a fighting chance against a pair of receivers like A.J. Brown and uh, Devonta Smith. But I think overwhelmingly, the thing I would keep an eye on for most is probably going to be the rushing attack from the Eagles because I do think that teams can still have some success against the Bills' run-defending unit, specifically when Linval Joseph is not on the field. And the Bills usually start off the game with Jordan Phillips at that one technique spot and Ed Oliver at three technique. And they have Tyrell Dodson in at their as their uh, linebacker alongside Terrell Bernard. And Dodson shows well at times against the run. But he also can get uh, up a little bit too far to the line of scrimmage to where he... Uh, plays himself out of the play. And that has yielded some some running lanes and it's put some pressure on, you know, whether it be a safety or a linebacker to make a pretty clear one-on-one tackle. Otherwise, and it happened a couple of times last week, 
Otherwise, it could have gone for a big gain. So that's something to keep an eye on here for. Uh, and that would be especially because DeAndre Swift and that offensive line has been running really hot this year. So that would be a, a, a an area of concern that I would have for the Bills in this game. And then on top of that, I just don't know who can check A.J. Brown on, on this team. Rasul Douglas was awesome last week against the Jets, no doubt. But Jalen Hurts is a different quarterback than Zach Wilson. A.J. Brown is as good as Garrett Wilson is. A.J. Brown is a different caliber of receiver and is playing like one of the best, if not the best receivers in the NFL this year. And he was held in check last week. So there's going to be that little bit of extra, I think, for uh, for A.J. Brown this week. So we shall see. But if I were the Bills, I would try to avoid any situation where A.J. Brown is working against either Christian Benford or Taron Johnson. I don't know exactly how that's going to go because uh, because usually the Bills operate in a pretty predictable manner with, with their cornerbacks. And they don't really like to have Taron Johnson travel, if he can play, by the way. They don't really like to have him travel out of, of that nickel spot. So if A.J. Brown is lined up on the inside, there's a good chance that it's going to be Six foot two, whatever he is, 225, 230 against five foot 11, 185, 190 pounds. And a guy who can win on those routes, too. Just he's just an incredible player. Um, so that is going to be something that uh, the Bills will have to account for. Maybe try to take him away. But I just after a, a down game last week, I don't know that, that they're going to be able to take away A.J. Brown. So a lot is going to fall on the offense to be able to go toe-to-toe with this Eagles offense, I think. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, next up, uh, Zachary writes, what is your sense of whether Taron Johnson will play and how big of a problem would it be if he's out? I kind of alluded to it. He practiced on Thursday. I'm recording this ahead of Friday's practice. I'm about to head over there right after um, right after I get done with this to Sean McDermott's talking at 1145. Practice is a little bit after that. And we'll see if he's indeed back out there. Maybe if he's out of the the red non-contact jersey. But um, if at least him getting back on the practice field on Thursday at least gives him a chance to go on Sunday. The rates for players to go from having a concussion the previous week to being ready 
in time for the game has not necessarily been good this year. But it's at least possible because Johnson got on the field. So what if he doesn't play? I think their play would be to have Cam Lewis in um, in at nickel corner uh, because that's been kind of their lean. Although they might consider Saran Neal just for the times that A.J. Brown may line up in the slot, but it's it's so difficult to predict just by the receivers going into um, going into the huddle as to where A.J. Brown is going to line up. And that would be an even bigger matchup disparity if they ever had a situation where they're in man coverage with A.J. Brown working against the five foot nine and even smaller Cam Lewis. Um, so their default when Taron Johnson is not in the game is Cam Lewis is their nickel corner. Saran Neal has the body type to contend with it, but at the same time, I just don't know that you can trust him well enough, especially when it's not A.J. Brown in the slot. Like if it's Devonta Smith against Saran Neal, man, that is easy money for Jalen Hurts and the Eagles. So it would be a huge, huge loss and uh, if Taron Johnson would be able, is not able to play in this game. And it would definitely change quite a few things for the Bills and how they defend. And maybe maybe it's a situation where that's where they do have Rasul Douglas travel inside to nickel corner uh, wherever A.J. Brown is going just because you don't want to give up that size to a guy like that and who can take over a game the way that he has so many different times this season. So, yeah, I would uh, I would be a little bit worried about that if I were um, if I were the Bills heading into this game, because that could be a potential matchup flipper. All right. Next up goes to. No name. Joe, do you see Dorian Williams improving, even considering the rookie wall at this point of the season? They haven't really put him out there in the situations where I would want to see improvement. Like they brought him out there as a third linebacker um, when the opponents go into heavy formations. They have uh, they have brought him in there a couple weeks ago as like a de facto fourth pass rusher or quarterback spy for Russell Wilson when they played the Broncos. But in terms of the actual role that he would be developing into, we haven't seen a ton of that because they haven't utilized him a ton. So I don't really have a good answer for you that uh, on, on Dorian Williams. I do think at the end of the day, what he is going to ultimately be is going to be better and more versatile than what Tyrell Dodson can do. And Dodson has done a nice enough job on those early downs and them subbing him out and bringing in a, a safety for him. But there's just such a difference where when you can stay within your base operating formation and not have to kind of change everything up, change roles mid-series, and that's just been how they have been able to play these things um, in the past. And I think that's how they would prefer to do it moving forward. But Dorian Williams, to them, just isn't quite ready yet. So uh, that's kind of a, a to-be-determined um, for 
whether or not the uh, whether or not Dorian Williams can progress even through the rookie wall. Next question comes from another no name. Joe, why do they keep giving snaps to Von Miller when he is a non-factor? Why is he even playing? <laughs> uh, he did have one good pass rush against the Jets coming from the left side. Did find it interesting that they continued to not play him um, when there, there were some obvious passing situations. It's just... I'm not really sure what to expect out of Von Miller the rest of the year. And this game, I think, is one of those to pay attention to with him because it was around this time last year, the Thanksgiving game, where he suffered the torn ACL. And I can't remember what week it was. Maybe it was like week five or six. Von Miller discussed the plan for for getting out of the bulky knee brace that he's in and going to a smaller one. And I do wonder if that will improve some of his mobility and explosiveness issues that we have seen so far. And if he'll be look a little bit more like himself once they go to that smaller brace. Now, that's a big projection at this point because we haven't really seen those flashes enough of what he was and what they quite frankly think he can still be. But the reason why this game is interesting is because it is the year mark. And that's something he highlighted when he talked about um, getting out of the bigger brace. So if he is in that smaller brace, we'll see if maybe his snap counts go up or maybe if he tries a bend around the edge, which he has not tried to do once this year at least from not from what I've seen so far. Maybe I'm forgetting one. But it's been mostly bull rush slash try and speed uh, past the offensive tackle and some, some hand fighting. But for the most part, he's been contained. And it's that's something that has to change for them because Leonard Floyd has been great. And he has turned to their number one this year. Greg Rousseau looks like he's starting to get back on track. AJ Epinesa has had his best year to date. But Von Miller, if he can become him again, that that's and not the him as in uh, as in Stefan Diggs declaring I'm him. Um, him meaning get back to himself and what he was before the injury. And kind of pushing away some of the questions about what he can be this season. So, big week for Von, Von Miller if if the brace goes down. But if it's still that that big bulky brace, that will be a, a conversation in itself. All right, next up, question from Chris who writes, does this turn into a bounce back game for Stefan Diggs? I think they will try to utilize Diggs a bit more in this one, but I don't think the the run game is going away anytime soon because... I do think the Chiefs had some success um, with some of their runs out of shotgun uh, against the Eagles. And that, I think, might lend itself to the Bills game plan a bit. Plus, this is two straight games where the Bills have shown signs of life um, in their run game when handing it handing the ball off to their backs. So if James Cook 
can get himself going a bit more in this one early on, then I think that we could see maybe a, a bit of um, a similar split between run and pass because the Eagles do have a tough defense. They have a lot of fun pieces. They have a really good defensive line, just the same as the Jets. But there could be some opportunities here. However, the Eagles have yielded some passing yards this season. And I, I mean, more than you would think for such a good defense. So that's why I think when they when they are dropping back to pass, even though it's probably not going to be the 80-20, 75-25, 70-30 split that we've seen in previous games this season, um, I think Diggs will be a central target, especially if the Eagles are getting into some man-to-man looks and, and trying to take them out that way. But yeah, big uh, big game for, for him. And I do wonder if the Eagles are going to look at Dalton Kincaid and try to take him away a bit more, considering that's basically how Josh Allen got himself jump-started against the Jets. So maybe he the rookie gets a little bit more attention than he's used to. So big big time chess game with this one. Um uh so we'll 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 see as we go forward. Next up comes from Shane who writes do the Bills have interest in Shaq Leonard? Is it a possibility and how much would it cost for them to sign him if they are indeed interested? I think it would be one of those where maybe they kick the tires and see if he'll sign on to the practice squad. They do have some cap stuff going on. Like they're pretty tight to it. They're, I think they only have about a a million and a half in cap space right now. So it's not as though they can just sign whoever they want. But I am wondering if maybe they could get him, if, if he would sign on to a practice squad, if they could get him to come in and maybe even compete for a similar role with Tyrell Dodson. Because if you go and and, um, read a lot of the stuff about Shaquille Leonard this year, even though he was a dynamite defensive player for years on end with the Colts, his ability and pass coverage has waned to the point where they were taking him out on those third downs and obvious passing downs. And that's pretty similar to what Tyrell Dodson does. But then again, you have that experience level with Leonard, where even if you are only playing him in a in a similar role to Tyrell Dotson, that that it that could be beneficial to your overall program, especially if Dotson is getting beat a few times and putting himself out of position a few times. And even when teams drop back in play action on those early downs that are more likely to be runs. Leonard gives you, I think, a little bit more than, say, a Dodson would because that's that's one of his major struggle areas. And that it, it has been since they started playing him in games a few years ago. So I think it's worth kicking the tires on. I do have a, a comment from... Sean McDermott rolling around the brain when the Milano uh, injury initially happened. And he kind of alluded to them looking within, but above all else. 
However, they have seen a lot of games without Milano. They've seen a lot of games of Dodson. They've seen they've seen Dorian Williams get in there and get benched a couple of times. And they did sign Christian Kirksey to the practice squad at the beginning of the year to have that sort of veteran outside linebacker experience. So I do think that there is potential there, but I just don't know um, if he's going to want to do the practice squad thing or if the Bills will, if it is an active roster situation, if the Bills are willing to give perhaps the the payment necessary to be able to bring him in. And I don't think it would be like a crazy amount of money, but enough to the point where they would probably have to make some kind of move or, you know, restructure some kind of contract or at least structure Leonard's contract in a way that would fit under it. So just seems like it's a little more convoluted than just an easy like, oh yeah, sign him for, for three mil, bring him in. Because then if they have to do some void years and, and things like that, then it becomes a, okay, now you're putting even more money on the 24 cap and the 25 cap than you already have right now. So just little things like that that you have to be aware of uh, it, when these in-season opportunities come about. But I wouldn't rule it out by any means. I think uh, I think he would be a, a nice fit for the defense and potentially an upgrade for Dodson if uh, if they can get him in Buffalo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Uh, Benjamin writes, with Gabe Davis having zero catches in two of the last three weeks and the rise of Khalil Shakir, does this change your outlook regarding the Bills resigning Gabe Davis? The Khalil Shakir factor does not um, factor into it for me because he is not an X receiver. He is, when he's not playing slot receiver, he is more uh, in the Z mold as a primary backup to Stefan Diggs. So I think they would want to vary up those, vary up having that sort of um, player within their scheme. And I know that Gabe Davis has been taking a lot of heat, but he blocked really well against uh, against the Jets. And I know that's not what everyone wants to hear. It's like, oh gosh, here we go again. We're talking about Gabe Davis's run blocking, but he was kind of important to what they were doing, both from blocking out ahead of James Cook, but also on wide receiver screens. And sometimes they brought him in to, uh, on some pin and pull plays. Like that's, that was the role that, that he was playing. And that's why I still think there is a chance that um, they re-sign him, but his value has taken a hit. It absolutely has. Like you can't, I guess they could, but to me, you can't sign him for, a an above average wide receiver deal. And I'm thinking to like 
the Jacoby Myers deal last year, which was I think was around 11 mil per season. I don't even know if I'd go go with that. They do love him. He's a leader. He can splash for some big time uh, big time games every here and there, but it's just not consistent. He's not a consistent route running winner. He's got some drops to his name. So that's going to be a big time conversation for the Bills. And the price to me would need to be right. And maybe it's a deal where it looks better on the on the initial announcement where it's like, oh my gosh, they gave him that much money. But really, it could wind up just being like a a two-year agreement where a lot of the money is kind of false in the sense that it's not guaranteed and pushed into the the third, fourth year of the deal. So I, I do think they still like him, and I do think they um, I do think that they would be interested in resigning him, but with them cap strapped, and that would also signal like, okay, when Stefan Diggs is done, is Gabe Davis all of a sudden the guy? Is he the number one? I don't think he has the the ability to do that. They have been extremely lucky that Stefan Diggs has not missed any time this season. He has been one of the best receivers in the NFL again. Hasn't missed really any time since he's been in Buffalo. I don't know that they want to see what this offense looks like. Or maybe they, maybe they need to see it, what this offense looks like without Stefan Diggs in it. Because I'm not sure it would be necessarily conducive to uh, their boundary receiving with with Gabe Davis if he's if he's the number one guy. So that's those are my hesitations on it. I've always been kind of hesitant on it, but I do think that they really like him. And if the price is right, I think they'll, they'll look to bring him back. Okay, next up comes from Lee, who writes. Uh, Do you expect to see a lot of 12 personnel in a game where the Bills might be focused on upping their ball control? I do expect to see 12 personnel again. And and, uh, if you checked out my post-game observations from the Bills-Jets game, you'll see a little stat that I threw in there that that Jets game was the first time that they ran 12 personnel since Dawson Knox left or went on IR with, uh, with the wrist surgery. So I would expect it to continue the 12 personnel plays that they ran. Um, I tracked seven of them and they went for 49 yards, yards per play of seven, uh, seven, which doesn't sound like a crazy amount, but when the bills were averaging, I think around 5.4 yards per play throughout the entire game, having that extra little boost uh, on those plays works. And they certainly liked what Quentin Morris was able to do in that game as a blocker. I would expect to see it a little bit. I don't know if it's going to be like the game plan or anything like that. Like like they came out with uh, against the Jets in week one where it was over 60%. But just anywhere from five to 15 snaps, I think would would be perfect for some 12 personnel. Get those two tight end looks in there. Give uh, the Eagles a little bit of a different look from time to time. Something that Joe Brady did a really nice job of. And 
and then see if you can have the same sort of success as as you did on those plays um, throughout the Eagles game. So, yeah, they and plus they'll probably want to continue, like I said before, want to continue on with their running game through their running backs and making sure that it continues to be a piece of the puzzle, not the focal point, but a piece of the puzzle that they can rely on to get themselves four or five yards and continue on with that hashtag threat to run that uh, we have seen so, so much from Sean McDermott wanting to establish um, since really 2018 when they were up against it with, uh, with some of these, some of these games. And since the bills passing game has taken over, that's when we've heard threat to run come over uh, a bit more from McDermott, but I get the concept of it. It's not that he wants to run the ball only. It's just he wants to be able to vary it up to where the Bills offense isn't predictable. I think that's that's the whole point behind it. Okay, we've got um, time for one more question before I need to hit the road and get over to Sean McDermott's press conference. This one comes from no name. With the Rasul Douglas trade looking great, do you see Bean and McDermott retooling the secondary more with trades opposed to draft development? I could see them doing the trade route for one of the safety positions. I do think that they want to get a long-term safety in there at some point. And I think they flirted with the idea of drafting a safety over the last couple of years. It just the opportunity the um I suppose the opportunity and the value of the player never met the pick where they were selecting. I'm kind of wondering um, what would have happened if they didn't trade down uh, when they selected James Cook and whether or not they would have taken the safety out of Cincinnati, Brian Cook. I believe he went before them. I need to I need to double check on that so I'm not misleading you all. Um but there, ha- there have been times like I was a big proponent of them making a big move to go get Kyle Hamilton a co- couple years ago. Now he's one of the, the best safeties in the NFL. I think they kicked around the idea of drafting a guy like Kyle Duggar a while ago. So, yeah, that, that, that's right. The, um, the Bills traded down. In, into the second to last pick in the second round, getting James Cook. Brian Cook went to the Chiefs, the pick ahead of him, ahead of them. And I do wonder whether or not Brian Cook would have been their selection had they not gone down the um, the three picks. Because I remember with that pick, they said they had a handful of guys that they really liked. And Brian Cook was right in that realm. You know, it, Jordan Poyer was potentially uh, going to be up. The following year, it kind of goes into their overall game plan of not putting their rookie players into a prominent starting role in their first year if they're not a first rounder. Really, the only one that's that's bucked that trend in recent memory has been Osiris Torrance. So it would have fit what they usually like to do. But um, so, yeah, I, I think... They, they'll want to get one, especially with Micah Hyde being a free agent. So maybe it's uh, 
maybe it's a trade for someone in the offseason. Maybe they try and see if they can uh, sign a guy like Kyle Duggar, who they liked when when he was coming out as a as a draft pick. He's going to be a free agent this year as long as New England doesn't resign him. So that's another name to keep an eye on. I don't know how much he would cost. I don't think it would be like a crazy, crazy money, but we have seen some interesting deals in the past. But uh, but yeah, the, the safety position is the one I've got my eye on the most just because I think they're relatively good at cornerback right now. Rasul Douglas is signed through next year. I don't think he's going anywhere, especially with the pick they gave up to, give, to get him. Christian Benford's going to be their starting corner. Um, I think the biggest question is whether or not they're going to hang on to Tredavious White in the offseason because they can save money by cutting him. And he's coming off an Achilles injury, so there's there's that piece of the puzzle as to what type of player they're getting back once he is able to come back. And then I think the safety position is probably the the biggest, the gl- most glaring example of one that needs some retooling this offseason. And um, and yeah, that I, I could see them attacking a trade and draft pick for or trade slash free agency and a draft pick for. Um, for a couple of reasons. Okay, that's going to do it for questions. Now it's time for the Shaq Lawson meditation prediction hour. The Bills are underdogs, not surprisingly, to the 9-1 and Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles opened up, from what I saw, as three and a half point favorites. That line is now down to three. So basically, when you factor in the home road, usual three-point bump, effectively a pick in in um, the book's mind. And the total on the game is a whopping 48 and a half. So I am going to take, it's, this is, this is a, this is a vibes based thing. And the fact that I, I liked what I saw from, from the bills last week on a, on a few different levels. I'm actually going to take the Bills to win this game. And I I might be one of the only ones that that does it. And I'm okay with that. But I think the Bills woke up on offense after their first couple of drives. The third drive was like the was Josh Allen's like awakening, I guess, where he started to look a lot more like himself and was a lot more confident in his decisions. And then the drives from that point forward. Um, three of their next four drives after that third drive went for a touchdown. And the only one that didn't was that end of the first half one where they were basically in scramble mode and um, just doing whatever they could to get in field goal position. But it wound up not working out that way. So I really like what what I saw from the offense last week. We'll see if it's if it's sticky and if it's that if it was just the first week coaching change boost. But I think this Bills offense can put up some points against this this Eagles um, this Eagles defense, and I think they are a lot more apt to getting beat this year, and they're not quite as dominant as they were last year. And there's also this piece of the okay, they're nine and one. The Bills are going to play that that overwhelming underdog card like they always do. 
But this time, it's actually legit because they're nine and one. Uh, the Bills are only six and five. Everyone's kind of counting them out for the playoffs. My guess is they're going to come into this game with a bit of a, a pep in their step, especially on the road to kind of ruin things for for the Eagles and this uh, seemingly perfect uh, perfect year that they've got going on outside of one game. So I'm I'm taking up I, I'm going to take the Bills to win. So that would mean that I take the Bills to uh, to beat their plus three spread. I am going to take the under though. 48 and a half is a ton. There's some weather stuff that I saw that that could potentially become a factor. So I'm I'm just going to take go safe with that and take the under, but these I think both of these teams are going to put up some points, maybe just not enough to get to 49 points, which is where I would need to go. All right. So I got the Bills to win, the Bills to cover and the under on the game. We'll see if uh if that's right. Oh, and I will add this. The three-point spread, just like I pointed out last week with the with the jet spread, where it was like, okay, the Bills are seven-point favorites, right? And coming off the game they just did, losing to the Broncos the way they just did. The, and, you know, the Jets usually having their number from a defensive standpoint and having had success um, earlier in the year with a win – it almost felt like people were were or they were baiting people into betting the Jets in that game. I kind of feel that same way with with the line for the Eagles. I mean, three points. That's if you just look at records and you go nine and one versus six and five. Eagles just beat the Chiefs on the road. It's like, oh, that's that's easy. Eagles. Eagles won by more than three points. The Bills have struggled on offense. I don't know. Is something something fishy about that line to me? So that's that's part of the part of the equation. But I, I will take the Bills to win, the Bills to cover, and the uh, yeah. other. All right, that's going to do it for me. Thanks everyone for listening to this live room episode of the Buffalo Beat. I have to hit the road and get over to the Sean McDermott press conference because it's starting in 21 minutes. We'll see if I get there. I probably will. Look pretty close. Um, but thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you after the game on Sunday. See you then.